is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories on how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had the amazing opportunity to speak with Russell Howard over Zoom video. Russell Howard is a rapper, producer, composer, songwriter who has won numerous awards and is one of the owners and co-founders of Signature Tracks. Russell talks about being born and raised just outside of Philadelphia and how he got into music. He talks about how he got into production and writing and creating beats, how he was able to not only work with, but have two songs on Jay-Z's record, Volume 3, The Life and Times of S. Carter, the record that had, you know, Big Pimpin' on it, which has sold X millions upon millions of copies. So we hear that story. Russell has a bunch of amazing stories that he tells, uh, but also how he got started with signature tracks, which creates music for television shows. If you have any interest in knowing how to write and compose for television, you definitely need to listen to this episode, watch this episode. It's up on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if while you're there, you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy. Please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Russell Howard. So this is about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. Nice. Where are you located? I'm in Nashville now, but my, we're originally, my family and I are originally from San Diego and we moved to Tennessee about seven months ago. Nice. I was just down there and, um, you know, my company, we did a deal with uh, Concord Music, Concord, and they have a huge, oh, wow. huge offices down there. I mean, they have offices all around, but uh -huh. yeah. Um, Adam, Dave, and my Adam and David are my business partners, and uh, myself. We went down there, just had a great time, and you know, met Victor and Jim, some of the the top guys over there. Do you know them? Do you know those guys? I I don't. I knew people that worked. With, I know people that work for Concord Music, but not the right. the the high high level of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. But they got, got a lot of great bands for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's amazing because I hadn't been there for a few years and it's just like the city's growing and you know, they're nonstop building a couple, a couple of my friends have moved down there and stuff like that. So it's a great place to raise a family, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what drew us here was more of the, the family oriented things. I have two kids and it was like, we weren't even in, in school in San Diego anymore, like still. So it was like, right. got here and they were like in school and you know, you get yep. more more bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a, um, he'll be three in December 7th, a three year old. Oh, so, congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. So coming up. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. What, a few weeks. Yeah. 
big birthday plan for him. It's he's in a great age where he's like, now he's starting to, as you know, right, starting to talk and engage, and it's just mm-hmm. the, it's a game changer. At least for me being a father, because like now I can like take him on rides, take him around. Like I took him to Starbucks the other day. Like he can just he, he, he can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I, that's so cool. That is so. Yeah, my youngest one is five. And he's started kindergarten this year. So that was <laughs> nice. Yeah. Interesting going from, you know, half he's there all day now taking the bus to school and it's oh, oh, it's going it to break is, my heart in a good way, you know? Oh, yeah. it is. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's like one of those things where you're like, Oh, they have finally like, you'll have some, you know, time to get work done and do this and the other thing. And then you like, you really miss them when they're gone. Yeah. Absolutely. So cool. yeah, man, I appreciate. Um, so I'll just I'll shut up now and I'll wait for yeah. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that I love how this has been going so far. How where were you born and raised? You're from Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, so I was I was born actually in Washington, and then you know my family we moved to um, Philadelphia and um, Washington State or Washington Washington DC. Yeah, okay. and then, you know we had a lot of family in like Maryland and all that in Virginia and stuff, and so my parents. They were super young, super, super, like 19 and 20 when they had my brothers. And then my dad was, I think, 29 or 30 when he had me and my mom was about the same age. And uh, so we moved to Philadelphia in the suburbs, like this place called Narberth. And then um, then my dad, he, he was a litigator. He, you know, he, he's an amazing man. And um, he really didn't know what to do. He just liked playing the drums, et cetera, but he's really good, like speaking on his feet. He was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. It's a long story. It's a beautiful story. He helped a lot of people and he went after the asbestos companies and, um, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he was like a top litigator in the asbestos world in like the eighties and nineties. And it was wild because it's like, so we moved and we moved to this place called Wynwood, which was like near Lower Marion. And it's Lower Marion was made famous because of Kobe. He went to high school with Kobe. Yeah. You know, I went to high school with him. And um, and so there was this juxtaposition and like a dichotomy early on where, you know, he came into money, my, my family, but it, he never really felt like he had it, et cetera. So you know, I, I would I would go to I would work for him down in the, in the, in the city of, of Philadelphia. And he was really big on values and like working and put his kids to work and like, yo, this is my money, not your money. And that type of stuff, which was great. It frustrated me at the time, you know, of course, but I'm um, really grateful for it now. And so that's actually what started my um, curiosity into like the hip hop world and the streets and like. I've always had a little bit of that mischief and danger in me. Like, Oh, I shouldn't go there. I'm going to go there. Right. And so I was like this, you know, this suburban white kid at like 11 and 12, just in parts of Philadelphia that I probably shouldn't have been at, but you know, my passion for music and hip hop music was so real to me early on. And um, I was just absolutely like obsessed with the sounds and the music and Though I didn't quite relate to all the lyrics on a person, like in a personal level, I, I felt the passion and the the power behind it. And so, um, yeah, early on, I was like, I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to be a white rap, like period, at like 11, right? And so, <laughs> and um, and that started my journey. And it was something that my oldest brothers, who were just, you know, it's a very competitive family. 
and they were just very uh, seven and nine years older than me mm-hmm. were just excellent at whatever they did and um I, really my whole family was and so when i found music it, it, it quickly became mine this was mine you know mm-hmm. and um it's interesting i don't know if you're watching the wu-tang series on hulu oh yeah the 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 yeah american saga yeah 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 it really almost brings tears to my eyes because the RZA was such an influence for me. So back then they had like magazines where you, the, the source magazine. Oh yeah. Reason. I used to have a source magazine for a subscription. Okay. So, you know, so in the back they would like highlight producers, right? Uh-huh. So I would go in the back and, and I remember reading about the RZA and like the equipment that he used. And so my first sampler to make beats was based off the wow. Rizzo's ASR, yeah. And so it's crazy because in the show, they show him, there was this one scene, many scenes, but there was the first time I saw it where he's like putting the floppy disks in the ASR 10 and then he saves the beat and he uses a marker and you have you used to have to write on the floppy disk like the name of the track so you would remember it. And I teared up because oh. I was like, yo, I've been doing this for 30 years. <laughs> like. You know what I mean? And I mean this in a humble way, but it's like sometimes because, and we get into this, the business that I, I built, you know, with my business partners and, and like the homes and the accolades and the awards, I just, it, you just forget sometimes, you know, like, and so it was a really beautiful moment, man. I would recommend that show, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that really began my, my journey into that world. And I was really blessed because I was taken in by like a, a crew of, of rappers and producers that didn't care that I lived in the suburbs. They mm-hmm. didn't care because I, because they just cared that I knew and talked the language that I knew, like who black moon was Nas. I knew Nas's lyrics. I knew Jay, I knew Biggie. I knew large professor. I knew like I and fat Joe. And like, I knew the sounds and all this, you know, and, and, and that's why I like, for me, you know, it's, 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 it's somewhat cliche, but like really music has saved my life. And it's been, it's been the common thread that has always connected me to people like on a, on a deeper level, man. And, and Mm -hmm. so anyway, I can get more into it, you know, later on in this, but that's, that was the beginning and the origin of how I tapped into music at a very young age. Did you start off making beats or did you play an instrument prior to that? I mean, I had played the drums enough to kind of get an idea, but I mean, my parents have, literally tapes of me beatboxing with my mouth before I I could speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there was definitely, you know, some divine orchestration going on here. And, um, but really, you know, I I heard uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy, welcome to the Terror Dome. And my mind just, it's never been the same. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I need to, whatever this is, I need to do this. So I, I would walk to the bus stop and um, I just start writing lyrics just in my head, wow. you know what I mean? And it was always the same theme. It was always like against the norm, like odd squad, kid cast. I was always like, even as a young kid, like I'm going to push in the envelope. I'm like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I resonated with rap, with hip hop back then, because, you know, it used to be so about independence and like fight the power and right. And mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, and so, it resonated with me and and but what happened was 
um, I would have these these raps and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of rapping them over like other people's instrumentals. And so I was just like, I need how to, I need to learn how to make beats. And, you know, I believe that my feet always end up where my heart is. And so I just, as a young kid, I had that like young naivety, you know, like that, mm-hmm. really, you know what I mean? Where it's just oh, like, of course. you just believe you can do anything, you know? And so <laughs> I just like looked up in the yellow pages, like some music stores and off I go, you know, and asking a lot of questions. And then I, I saved up enough money to buy my first little keyboard, which, you know, I could sample stuff. And um, I tell this story, I've told this story, but really how I learned how to make music was I, um, it's wild. I would go on the back of the CDs of my favorite tracks. Like, so Pete Rock and CL Smooth was a big, 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 big influence. And so oh, I was I going love to Pete Rock. The, the, what's that one song? True Master with uh, Inspector Deck? Yeah. Well, yeah. And they reminisce over you, which is a bit, you know, oh, yeah. Story, you know, and one of my favorite songs is Straighten It Out. And he had so many, you know, but I, I would, uh, I would just like turn the back and I would, and I would look cause it used to, you would ha- in the back of the album, it would say where the samples were from, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I would like look at the song and I would say, Oh, it contains a sample of Miles Davis. And I would be like, okay, well I need to go to the record store and find this Miles Davis album. So I'd go and I'd find the album and I'd go home and I'd listen to the album and I'd be like, that's the sample. That's where he got it from. And then I would sample that into my EPS or ASR 10. And then I would try to remake it and put beats around and I would try to remake their tracks. That's what I did. And then through that, what happened was I got in the head, so to speak, for lack of better words, in their heads of how they were making music. And then the process became clear to me. Oh, Mm -hmm. find sample, get tempo, lay down drums, add bass line, or, you know, and so that's, and that's how I learned how to make music literally early on. That's brilliant. That's almost like any other instrument, right? Where if you were playing guitar, you'd want to learn how to play a Beatles song or whatever. And then you kind of could take from what you know to build on your own. I haven't heard anyone talk about doing it that way as far as producing and making beats. That's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Thank you, man. Yeah. So you're doing that. And then how do you end up like, what was your kind of first big break? Yeah. So, uh, so I was discovered young by um, this guy named Chris Schwartz, who was the founder of rough house records. And he signed like <laughs> Chris cross and the Fugees and Cypress oh. Hill on like huge icon. Uh-huh. And they were based out of Philly. So again, the young naivety, I was making beats. I had raps and I was like, I need to record these. So I okay. open up the yellow pages and I find a recording studio like two miles from my house. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I'm 13. My mom like drops me off. I'm like, I go in there with my keyboard and my floppy disk and the engineer's like this rocker guy. It's crazy. And he's <laughs> like, all right, cool, man. Uh, who's making the beats? I'm like, me. I'm going to lay them down. He's like, all right, cool, cool. Uh, we waiting for the rapper or is that not? I said, no, nah, I'm going to rap. <laughs> well, I get in the booth and I like sampled like, I, dude, I was wild. I would sample like Jimi Hendrix. I didn't care. I just said anything, you know, that I felt, you know, Jimi Hendrix and like, you know, Kurt Cobain. <laughs> and so I get in the booth 
And I, this is when I was starting to like flirt with little weed and like girls, you know, at that stage. And I start talking rapid, blah, 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 blah. And he, he's like, hold on. And he calls his sister. And he's like, yo, I got this white kid down here that looks like he should be in like a boy band rapping about weed and girls and makes music. <laughs> she's like, I'm on my way. <laughs> now, she's the wife of Chris Schwartz who signed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He's like, I want to manage you. Da, da, da. And that's so that was like my first introduction into the industry that way. And then. Wow. Um, what a yeah. what a connection. I mean, to have wow. the guy's sister. I mean, that's so wild. Wild. So then that like, you know, definitely opened my eyes to a lot about the industry stuff. And, um, you know, they actually offered me like a pop artist deal and they were like, going to teach me how to dance and all this stuff and sing. And I was like, hmm. It's not where my heart is. And I said, no. And then, so what happened was to make a long story short, I went to high school with Kobe, you know, mm -hmm. God bless his soul. And were you we were, like in the same grade or like, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's going to give away my age, but I don't really care anymore at this point. So, um, <laughs> I actually like my age. And, um, so we always had mutual respect for each other. He knew that I made music. He knew that I was very involved in that. He was a very, very, very serious rap fan. He mm -hmm. knew every Nas lyric. He knew all Jake. Like, he was just very serious about it, right? And so it was cool because, like, when he and I would see each other in school or whatever, I never cared about basketball, bro. I never brought it up, you know? So we had a mutual friend who's one of my best friends today, and he's actually one of my lawyers. And love him like a brother. I've known him since I was 11. And he was always, always a big fan of mine. And so he convinced Kobe, yo, you guys live right down the street, you and Russell. Russell makes these beats that you know about. Go to his place. You guys should get on a song together. So, so right before he signs to the Lakers, we start doing these songs in my bedroom, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, because he went right out of high school, right, to the Lakers? Right out of high yeah. So we start doing these songs and it build a connection. He goes off to the Lakers. I go down to Florida just to get away from the East Coast with my best friend, David, who's one of my business partners now. And I get a call. You know, Kobe wants to put this group together and build like a Wu-Tang. So he wants you and this other guy, Anthony, to find the best rappers in Philly. And so... Um, I was brought in a little later. There was this group that was put together, these the most amazing rappers, you know, in Philly. There was this guy, Kevin Sandman, Sanchez, he's like a legend, Brody, and all these rappers that were like known in Philly, right? And mm -hmm. so like a group was formed, and then I was brought in as the producer, and we were signed to Columbia Rec Trackmasters, Columbia Records, and I wow. was turning 19, and that's how that's literally how I got in the business. Oh my gosh. And how long did, did the group stay around for a bit or did you put yeah, records so out? We spent about a year and a half um, out in LA making records and um, had a whole album, had features on it. Did a song with Tyra Banks, who was like singing the hook. Really? <laughs> got, got a video to it. That's where Kobe met Vanessa. And, um, you know, that's Whoa. public information. So everyone knows that. But um, yeah, but still. And uh, I think basically what happened was the album came out or the song came out and 
I think, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but I think there was just maybe some differences with mm -hmm. stuff with the label and him, you know, and, and he decided to uh, actually buy the album, buy the masters back. And, um, but what happened during that time was that while I was in the studio with Kobe for a year and a half, every rapper you could think of wanted to come meet this new basketball star. Sure. Right? And so Kobe was a, he, he, he would do things that, that were brilliant and he would test you in certain ways. And I, I think that's pretty known. So he would keep you on your toes is what I mean. So he tells me one time and he's like, yo, I, I got someone coming to the studio. Just be ready. <laughs> Just be ready, bro. And uh, I'm like, all right. So I'm in Larrabee West. We get a buzz. Boop. Hi, Kobe. We have a Mr. Sean Carter here. My heart, yo, my heart dropped, bro. I'm like, this is my, this is, this is Jay-Z after hard knock life, man. We're talking right. about, a, you know what I mean? We're talking 10 million records deep, you know, like mysterious. Who is this guy? He's bigger than life, Jay-Z. You know, you can't touch him. You never see him. He just, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I know all of his lyrics. And so um, he comes walking in and again, like a divine orchestration. I, I had made some beats like earlier in the week where I was like, yo, I kind of hear Jay-Z on these beats. And so a uh, very good friend of mine, and he's actually um, like a manager actually at this point where I'm doing an album actually. And um, he's co-managing co this album with me, a guy named Lenny Nicholson, um, who was brought in by Columbia to oversee the album, mm -hmm. knew Jay and was in the studio and spoke up and said, Jay, that white, that boy over there, he's got some beats for you put me on the spot. <laughs> and so my hands were shaking, et cetera, et cetera. Boom. I had my little MPC and I was like, I got this beat perfect for him. This is what's funny because I want to talk about it. So I played the track and I'm like, this is perfect for him. I based it off. Him. And he steps back and he's bobbing his head. And he's like, okay, well, what else you got? And I'm like, what? That's the one. You know what yeah. I, mean? so I had this other one. So I was like, all right, I got this other, this one other one. And I hit the pads, sound comes off, da, 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 and I had to hit the play button because I'm doing a lot of this manually and my hand was shaking, you know? And I hit the play button and man, it was like lightning struck. Like he just stepped back, started mouth, doing the thing that everyone says he does, just mouthing the lyrics. And I, the beat's just looping for like, I, a couple minutes and I'm like, do I stop it? So I stopped it. He's like, uh, uh put it back on. I'm like, all right, that's a good sign. So yeah. after a while, he's like, all right, I got it. I'll be right back. Put that beat on a CD. So he leaves and I'm, and everyone in the studio is going crazy. And I'm like, ah, like, man, like, is he going to come back? Did I, you know, he comes back with the president of Def Jam. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I put the I put the beat on a CD for him, and it ended up on his album. It was called S. Carter. It was uh -huh. on, and um, and then he actually picked another track, um, that was called There's Been a Murder, and that was not so it's number eight and twelve on his album, 
And then that album was volume three, Life and Times of Esta Carter. I was 19 years old and it sold like 7 million records. And I, at that, I was thrown into the industry. So there you, that's, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is nuts. So at this point, like with a credit or two credits on a Jay-Z record, are you getting like a million phone calls from anyone like and everyone? To, yes. Yeah, literally. It like overnight. And so as soon as that album came out, which is so funny, brother, because it's like back then we had Tower Records and I'll never forget mm -hmm. showing up to Tower Records, like, you know, in kind of a beat down car. I was just trying to get by and the royalties hadn't hit. And I go into Tower Records and I got to get the album and I didn't even know that the second song had made it because they were so protective of leaks. And I open uh. up the credits and I'm like spazzing out in Tower Records. I'm, I'm showing the clerk, look. This is <laughs> That's what <laughs> I, I'd be doing too. Right, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, the irony of that is, yes, every publishing company wanted to know. It was me and this other guy, Sean Francis, and uh, who we were. And um, the beauty in that is that my dad gets a phone call from Chris Schwartz and Myrna and says, we saw Russell's credits in the Jay-Z album. I'm doing another deal with uh, Columbia. I'm starting a whole nother label. Whatever he wants, I'll give it to him to come back and, and, and to Philadelphia. And so... Um, so I did for a couple of years, you know, because the Kobe thing wasn't going to work out. He, he decided he just didn't want to do it anymore and stuff. So, um, so yes, it definitely led to incredible opportunities. Um, and to be transparent, because, you know, I, I believe in that, um, a lot came very fast for me, mm -hmm. you know. And again, as I was saying, like I was always um, a, 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 a kid that, push the envelope for better or worse. And so what happened was, you know, look, I was never shy. I'd never shy away from party or enjoying myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when the, the, the royalties hit and the success and, and some of the recognition, and I didn't have the solid foundation to support that, mm -hmm. you know, um, I self-destructed and, Along came the, you know, cliche of, of the drugs and the alcohol and mm -hmm. the women and all that stuff. And I crossed this invisible line, which I'm very, very open about on my Instagram, et cetera, mm -hmm. where it went from a choice to not a choice. Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely, you know, addiction was, it is, was definitely prevalent in my life. And I'm very open about it. I'm 19 years sober now. But, Congratulations. I've got, I was going to tell you, I, I did see that on your Instagram and I've, I've got four years. So Yo. I think that's so cool that you, yeah, you 19, man, that's huge. Congratulations. Thank you for that, man. That's amazing. Congratulations, bro. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, I love that. I felt something in your spirit, man. Honestly. Yeah. So we, we, we feel each other. Like there's an energy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I feel it that. too. Even though we're going through a computer, man, I like this. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And, um, so yeah, then you you know you know right. So you yeah. you know so from like twenty to twenty two three it got really weird and really mm -hmm. dark, and um, I mean yeah I, I I just hit a bottom man I hit a bottom where that the pain emotionally was so profound that I just was like I I can't stay in this place and I was so pummeled and humbled that 
um, I was willing to take direction and, and listen to someone other than my own damn thoughts and mind. And, and, you know, and, you know, the king of addiction that resides in the addict, you know? And so, and, um, and that began my, that began really my second life. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. So that's um, huge though. I can't, I mean, I putting myself in your shoes at like having the means to pretty much probably get whatever you wanted at any moment in time, like to be able to stop, like that's, that's a huge, huge thing to, you know, to overcome. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I can't even imagine. I, it had gotten so dark and, you know, there were some hard drugs going on and I, I never injected any, and anything. And I don't say that to ju- anyone that, does with any judgment because i truly believe it takes what it takes and what my point was is that i'm grateful for the hard drugs because they really brought me to my to my knees you know um and uh and and i just i'm the type of guy it's actually i'm getting better at this thankfully with a lot of work but then i was the type of guy that the only way to get me to change or move was through pain real pain you know and so that's what happened and um really then i had a profound spiritual awakening eight days into this treatment center when i finally was like yo i really need help you know when the humility had taken over and and you know the pride had left and they talk about this throughout the book when there was real willingness you know I had a profound moment where eight days in, I lit something literally like left my body and my mind and the, the obsession was lifted. And, and I know that may sound like, you know, new age or whatever to a lot of people that don't understand, but like addiction, I, I, I give this example to people that are like normies that don't understand addiction. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> My wife's a total normie. She doesn't get me like, or in that sense, she's like, I don't understand why you can't just blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Exactly. I get that. Yeah. So, so, you know, David, my business partner asked me, he said, can you come up with an analogy that, to, you know, that would help others understand? And and I think the best one I've come up with, and and I, and I mean, this is probably better out there or whatever, but it's like being on a road trip with no bathroom in sight and you have to pee so bad. I'm not talking about just like, oh, I got to pee. I'm talking about where every bump, anything, and your your legs are crossed and you can't focus on one word that that person driving is saying. They could be telling you lottery tickets, numbers. They could be giving you like, Yo, you know, bank account numbers with billions of dollars, whatever, the, you know, the holy grail, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, you're just sitting there. You're like, you can't focus until you get out and you relieve yourself of that's what addiction's like when it's when the addict's in it. You know what I mean? That's when I spot that on. Me, that is so spot on. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, so at 23, I get sober and uh, fall in love with recovery. And, um, you know, take a break from music for a little bit, um, end up doing some movies, which is weird. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll just keep it short. And I just fell into it. And one of the movies that I was in, um, I met a music supervisor um, named Michael McCorn. I was in this movie, Love Don't Cost a Thing with Nick Cannon and Christina Milian. Mm-hmm. And 
I was basically kind of hanging out with this girl on the set. And she was like, wait a second, wait a second. You did Jay-Z? You did all this? I need to introduce you to the music supervisor. He was Babyface's the icon brother-in-law. They had a wow. whole building in Hollywood, literally a building of six floors. Michael, the music supervisor, was like, yeah, I'll take a meeting with you. I walk into his office. He's like, what do you got? I was like, here are my, my credits. He literally opens <laughs> He opens the credits. He's like, okay, I got a room downstairs for you. Da, 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 da. You know, and it was, <laughs> and that, I mean, that's the power of, of, of you know, Jay-Z. And so, um, and uh, I'm grateful for that. And so that started my second life, basically, of making music. And I was really taken in their beautiful family, the Edmonds family, Tracy, Kenny Edmonds, that's Babyface's really name, Michael, all of them over there really took me in, showed me how to uh, score music for TV shows, how to, you know, top line, how to write songs, how, just grew me as a, as a producer and a composer. And um, I, it showed me how to build a catalog, how to, you know, vocal produce, just the whole, the whole gamut. And uh, I spent four and a half years over there. And, um, and then what happened was around 2008 or nine, ish there was like a recession going on and mm -hmm. the music in industry was taking a, a real hit because like the napster and like the budgets and you know the downloading and it was going through a, a tough time and um my best friend david david lastman so uh who's a co-founder of signature tracks and adam Olka, who I, we've known each other since we were nine and ten years old by the way from philly so david and i were living together and he had worked his way up from a PA wow. to a show, a showrunner in, in TV shows. And he was like, man, look, there's money to be made here. I have all these contacts. We're going to start our own damn company. Your music is solid. Let's do this. And um, I said, no. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> like, nah, I don't understand it, but you go ahead, take my catalog, Adam comes in, helps organize it, da-da-da. He and I were producing as well. He's a great guitar player, very business-mind-oriented. They started the company, Signature Tracks, and within two weeks, we got our first job where we scored the whole show. And if anyone knows anything about residuals and scoring and stuff, it's like when you start doing the music for 41 minutes on a network show over and over, with re you start to go, oh, gets your attention. And so it caught my attention and I said, okay, I want to be in. They let me back in. And um, we started this company to 2008-ish, 2009. Mm -hmm. No marketing, no venture money, nothing. Just three guys as like a backup plan. And um, I don't know how much you've looked into it. I'm happy to talk about it, but it's like definitely changed all of our lives. We're top, I'd say we're in the top two to three in this world of doing what we do. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, I man. did read, I did research it quite a bit, but I would love to hear you tell it instead of me telling you what <laughs> you already know. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's just, you know, it's just a special thing because it's to do this with your brothers and to have such a synergy and just like an authentic love for each other um, shows up in the work and in the rooms. And oh man, it's, it's an amazing story. We, 
we just literally taught ourselves how to do this. And we based our company really on a couple core values, which was great in no order here, but great product, amazing customer service, and make it as easy for our clients as we can. Mm -hmm. And that was, and not to get greedy. So in the beginning, it was like, oh, that's your budget? No problem. We'll make it work. Oh, you don't have any budget? Okay, we'll figure something out. We're going to, we'll make it up on the back end. And, mm -hmm. you know, Dave is very, very uh, based in integrity. You know, Adam is very based in customer service. I'm very based on music and the brand, you know, and, and pushing that forward. And it just was like a beautiful marriage. And so really what happened was um, we had a couple of what I call Eskimos, people that came into our lives and gave us a shot. And in the beginning, I really didn't know what to be a composer was because it's different than just making music. It's not the mm -hmm. same. There needs to be certain formats. There needs to be things to end the track for the editors. You're really making music for the show and the content as opposed to making music for like an artist to sing on. It's different. And so it was a lot of trial and error. So I literally had this one music supervisor and this other guy, a producer, um, this guy named Kevin, I won't say his last name because I don't know if he'll want me to, but who was like, look, man, your music is great, but like, you got to figure out the format. Here's 80 tracks from the top composers. Study them. And like, and, and you know what's beautiful? It brought me back to how when I learned how to make music as a mm -hmm. kid, right? So I yeah, just would, like to... drive around and listen. I was like, I got this. All right, I get it. And so, um, yeah, our brand was created and our brand still to this day is current cutting edge music for TV commercials and films that sounds like it should be on the radio. Push the envelope. Boom. And so and um, so really a pivotal moment, I think, in our career was we started to do shows for every network and tons of production companies. We had this guy named Bill Langworthy who used to produce for The Hills, the famous show, The Hills. Oh, yeah. He was doing a show called Vanderpump Rules for Bravo. And, yeah. and he was like, look, I love your guys' sounds. I want to come over to your studio and I want to, I want to work on this, the music and we're going to do the pilot together. And so he comes into my studio, which was amazing. I respect that. Any producer that's, that cares that much. And so we crafted the sounds for the show and it, be it became huge on Bravo, the Bravo. Oh yeah, Network. massive show. Massive show. And then from there, it was just like the floodgates. And now we do all the housewives, you know. Uh, oh I wow. We have won an award for actually the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills ASCAP award. Uh -huh. uh, okay. uh, forgive me if this sounds, so I just, I don't, I don't, I'm just gonna, I've won, you know, five ASCAP awards um three years for the top top earners they honored the top 10 of us and um yeah and then just the floodgates went open and so just literally coming in and and creating a sorry oh good creating creating a sound you know for for bravo and a lot of nbc shows and we have so much love for them and how you know just the amazing product that they put out and just you know, gracefully letting us come in and, and craft the sound and stuff. And, you know, 
And then, um, and then we just started to expand and we did, we have partnerships with Viacom, um, partnership with Discovery Network, partnership with A&E and just fantastic people, you know, that just believed in our, our set, what we're doing and, and trusted us. These are mm -hmm. solid guys, you know, and they deliver and they keep their word and they do what they say and they're hard workers, et cetera, et cetera. And it just grew, man. So now we have like 30 composers um, that for us, we have, you know, a bunch of employees, admin and admin teams. Um, and it's just wild that three guys, three best friends, like literally came up with this idea, like a barbecue, like, Oh, let's, let's try this out. You know? So, yeah. That's so. amazing. So when you're writing for a show, like obviously you kind of have to what, like feel out the show and then kind of have a, a sound that, that accompanies what's going on. Like, obviously you, if you are writing for a real housewives, it'd be different than if you're writing for a, you know, a discovery 100%. channel show. Right. Absolutely. And so I think that's, that's part of the task and the craft and the mm -hmm. responsibility of the composer um, is to know your audience and to, to know the content, of course. So, you know, I would definitely, when, when, I was coming up, I was definitely studying these shows, you know, because it's about the show first and foremost. Right. Right. You're just and there to kind of accompany it. Right. Correct. Right. Creative a, a music that moves it along, but doesn't distract it. Right. But mm -hmm. still supports it, but doesn't overtake it, you know, you know? And so, and I, I personally, that felt home at home to me because I never liked how it felt to be put in a box as a music producer. Oh, you do hip hop. You can only do that. I was like, no, no. So for me, there's freedom in this world that I can do, you know, not music for Nat Geo or the history channel, you know, it was country music or, you know, rock music with hip hop beats or whatever, all the way to, you know, Viacom stuff where it's like future bass or EDM or whatever to, to Bravo, which really has its own sound, which is like mm -hmm. this beautiful, like kind of urban, but it's quirky, you know what I mean? But it's not too urban, but it's just enough. And it's like these big scene openers and stuff. And so it's just, it's been a blessing, man, because there's, there's, fr I, I love freedom in general, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and there's freedom in this, in making music for, for content. I love that. And it's it's such a cool world because not a lot of people know about scoring and, and that it's just like, oh, I want to be in a band and then get signed and tour. But this is a totally different aspect of the industry. 100%. 100%. I mean, I had I had no idea. I mean, I had glimpses of it, uh, but to not not to this extent, you know, and yeah, I, I love that it's a niche too. you know, not a lot of people understand it. You know, we we. we one of my roles is that I go out and find new talent, mm -hmm. new composers and producers. And <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. I was just meeting with this other, this guy the other day and he did like, you know, music for Ty Dollar Sign, D Smoke, you know, amazing studio, great guy. And I was just explaining to him this process. And here's a guy that like knows how to produce, you know, da da da. And, and, it still can sound like a foreign language, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, it was to me, you know, like I didn't know what a sting out was, 
you know, at the end of a track, right. you know, they call these buttons and I did, you know, and stems and all the alternate versions and the way it has to be delivered. And it's really, it's its own world because at the end of the day, our job as a composer is to make the life of the editor easy so that when the editor is watching the show and cutting the show to know music and he's got one screen where it's just the te- what's going on in the show and a scene comes up where there's like some anticipation or some tension, two ladies are about to fight or something at lunch mm-hmm. and then he goes to the other screen where Signature Tracks library is and then he's like, I need to find a track to drag that in and put that in it should be spelled out for him so he can go into a category that says like drama or tension. He goes through the different tracks. Oh, goes, I see. Yeah. So it's like, a, is it almost like a, a service? Like you could buy like a pack, you buy packages and like these guys will go through and find like, here's a, this sound. So let me, I'll, I'll probably have to pull from that. Correct. So we do have an online player, but we, Still to this day, we have, you know, our guys drop off hard drives and stuff. And, and that's they, rad. And, and one of the great one of the things that, you know, David and Adam came up with that separated us is that before we came along, a lot of the, the, the music production libraries, they had like these names that were really just not clear. It would just be like Rock Track 101. <laughs> and Dave and Adam were like, let's take it to another level. Let's really specify here. So for the editors. And this is where having an inside look helped because Dave knew David was in the shows. So we named our categories for them. So our categories were like anticipation, fight scene, quirky uh. moment, scene openers, coming out of commercial to montage shots, all this stuff to uh-huh. really spell it, to spell it out for these guys. So that, to make it easy, and they'd be like, Oh, here you go. This is what I'm looking for. You are you following what I'm saying? No, so, no, no, totally. I, I, I actually, I come from radio world and then in video production as well. So this is all like making total sense to me. I'm like, oh, I wish I had something like this when I would edit for commercials and stuff because it's like trying to find the music that it's gonna accompany whatever product we're making a video for was such a nightmare. And there exactly. wasn't a lot of play. Like we subscribed to some. I'm not gonna give the names of the place, but. Like it was like so stale. I'm like, okay, there's like six songs that are decent or six things that will work. And then I'm not going to be able to use anything else. That's <laughs> you right. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I, 100%. And, you know, I appreciate you saying that because when we started to get a name, like composers from all around, we get nonstop emails. And uh-huh. we made a decision collectively in that moment where it was like, okay, we could take this to another, I'm not going to say their name, but another type of music source. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what they did. They literally let anyone join online. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, let's keep this brand. Let's keep it a little bit smaller, but tight. Because you know, who wants to search through 50,000 tracks? Right. And like, that's you know, where I was at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's what also separated us too, is that, the efficiency aspect about it, the ed- editors could fly through. And then for something that was really brilliant, and, and you know, I, I, gotta, I always give him props for this, is that Adam really acted as an in-house A&R and music supervisor, where he would curate these playlists. So let's say you had a commercial, Adam would curate tracks for you and be like, boom, 
here's 20 right for you that it would fit work for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Then it yeah. saves the, yeah, that person another hours of time, even digging through. If there wasn't 5,000 or even 600 songs, 500 songs, it, it takes a while to find something that, I mean, yeah. give, being given, like, here's some songs that are going to work perfectly for what you're going to do. Then it's oh, exactly, exactly. I still get to make so, a decision, but it's way narrowed down. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I always say to, you know, young composers coming up or people want, you know, wanting to start businesses or whatever. I'm like, listen, to me, at the end of the day, the person with the, that has what you need, the success, and I'm speaking for myself here, is just they want their life made easy. I want my life made. Make my life easy. I'll buy it. You know, right. and so I mean that's Amazon. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, like, exactly. You know, <laughs> and so that's essentially was like always our insight. How can we make this easier for them and more efficient? So yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Thank and you. you're also you said you're working on a record too. I am. I'm so yeah. The 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 hunger has come back in that world and. Um, that guy, Lenny Nicholson, that spoke up for me in the studio with Jay-Z, came, uh -huh. we came reconnected in the past year. It was that. so beautiful. It was such an amazing moment because it's like he, he we had lost touch. The last time he saw me, I was like 19. And now he's like, dude, like signature, what you've done with, you know. And I built this beautiful studio in, in, in my back house and stuff like that. And, and um and I don't know, man, something's just been kind of reigniting in me. And there's been, and there's been a passion coming. And it's beautiful because it's coming from a different place. It's mm -hmm. coming from pure, like, to sound however this is going to like art and not from a place of monetary, not from a place of, oh, I'm trying to, you know, be like the next white rapper. It's, it's, it's not that at all. This is a place of just real expression and real, like, radical transparency and making music from my heart which is really cool so lenny came he's he's come on and we're just building this album together and so right now he's overseeing it and i'm in the the creating phase where i'm just just knocking out a bunch of songs um the intention is really clear that the mission is very clear it's a uh, a gentleman mature approach to alternative hip-hop you could say it's very musical it's very my dark twisted fantasy kind yeah, very you know and but mm -hmm. but but the, the 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 content is a, a a gentleman like a young man growing into manhood so the content about about women is mature the content about you know making money or losing or success or failure or heartbreak you know it's a very open vulnerable honest approach and perspective on music, um, but with a joyous feel around it. You know, I, I, there's so much music out there right now, and this is just my humble opinion that feels dark. And so this music, it's like soulful and uplifting and empowering and honest. And um, and I mean, as you know, in AA meetings, it's like we get up to the podium and we share, right? We share from our heart. Mm -hmm. And so my brother, I'm just trying to bring that into this music. And that's where I'm at right now. And so I'm gonna produce the album and then the goal is to, once we get like our 10 or eight songs, then I'm literally going to put known features on each record. And this is oh, going to be kind of cool. like a, yeah, like a DJ Khaled type of thing, you know, mm -hmm. but I will be rap singing on it. I'm producing the records, but real just community, collective, collaborative, you know, just here, boom, here's some dope music to just unleash to the, uh, the world and, and, you know, and, and see what happens with it. But I'm having a great time doing it.
That's so cool. Are you going to have like, when it, when it comes to features, are you looking for like younger, newer artists or is there really no hold on? Yeah, there's, there's, there'll definitely be some like, um, some on the, on the cusp, like artists up and coming. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm really going to try to go after, go for some like heavy hitters on this as well. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You know, but, but that makes sense for the songs, you know? And so I just did this record actually yesterday and the girl that wrote the hook, this girl Effie, and she's done some stuff and she sounds amazing and she's like up and coming. So there's an example of like an up and coming artist, but the actual, the song is actually going to be about addiction and, but, but presented in a different way, not in a preachy way, Mm -hmm. but where I think like the world often blames addiction and they focus on the symptoms. So they focus on the drugs and the alcohol and the liquor, the gambling and sex, but what gets lost is really, I think, you know, the internal aspects of addiction. I'm not trying to preach, but like, you know, the fearful no, mind, no. the shame underneath, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, surrounded by people or your family, but still feeling alone, you know, the want attention, then you get attention. You don't want it anymore. Wherever you are, you're never there. Your head's somewhere else. Like all these aspects, that I think, you know, the normies don't really understand or know this is not a willpower thing. This is really a loss of choice. You know, jails don't scare us. You know what I mean? Like, that. you know, and so (laughs) that's the intention of this record to put it out where hopefully someone can hear it and be like, oh man, I understand my brother better now. I understand my partner better now. And so um, so that's, that's just one example of the music that I'm working on for this album. Really excited about it. And, uh, yeah, man, you know, just having fun. going to shoot content and videos for every song. Oh, cool. See where- yeah. That's so. amazing. And are you working on other, are you still producing for other people? Like aside from obviously the television shows, but like, are you working with any artists or not so much anymore? Not so much because I'm really, really like, if, if I'm not working on my album, I'm really worked, working on Signature and still the yeah, head composer. Yeah, I would imagine that. You, you know probably I mean? have a lot going on. A lot, but, but we also, our signatures starting to expand and we're starting to sign artists. Which oh, wow. Is cool. Yeah. So we have a couple artists that we're developing and we're excited about. And that is where I would jump on board. Um, but in terms of like known artists, it's rare unless there's like a direct contact contact tact and connection where i'm like yo i really love what this person is doing um but 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 again you know once i put this album out who knows you know i'm, I'm mm-hmm. keeping an open mind to that um but right now i just my focuses are on building signature to be as big as we can and then just putting out the best most authentic music i can that's those are my two focuses yeah i love that i love that and i appreciate your time russell this has been such a cool conversation and 19 years sober like that's such a huge accomplishment congratulations on that and not only that but obviously everything else you've done (laughs) since then but uh uh, and you've already kind of touched on this earlier but i would love to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists yeah um i do actually i feel like number one don't quit Number one, do not quit. You know, some of the miracles that happened often, the miracles that happened and the breakthroughs that happened in my life were literally right on the other side of when my mind said to give up. And so 
I think that's number one. And then in some tangible advice, I love talent. We all love talent, but energy and attitude, man, if the energy and the attitude and the work ethic is there and I can trust that when you say you're going to do something, you do something and there's a humility that you bring and an open-mindedness and you're not strident in your beliefs and you're flexible and you're able to adjust and work with others, yeah, that will go farther than talent because I feel like talent sometimes is a crutch that people just like, oh, I'm talented. I can just be and say and however I want. And I, I, I feel like it's hurt a lot of people that I personally know, you know? And so uh, in, in terms of them not reaching their, their dreams or where they could have been at. So I think keep a great work ethic, keep a great attitude, stay flexible, and be willing, and don't cut your hand off for your finger. Meaning when you get into something, you know, there are going to be dues to be paid. So like often the first contract you get or the first like offer you get, you know, you might not love it, you know, but instead of just being, oh, screw that. Oh, da, 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 da. No, be flexible, get in the door. Your talent and your attitudes will keep you in the door, you know, and I really believe God will take you places that you won't even believe. So I'm going to stop talking, but that's, that's my advice.